hello, everyone. My name is Tim Webb, and I am the founder of Texas Leadership Summit, and uh, where we want to encourage Christian leaders uh, with courage, uh, tools, and hope to stand for their faith. And so today I am with Megan Butler, and I'm really excited about our topic today. Megan is uh, someone who's very passionate about this and passionate about leadership. And in our conversations, it's been great to hear her journey and uh, just her part uh, experience of this. And so a uh, little bit about Megan. She has her own nonprofit, and that's Desert Road Ministries. Yep. And uh, I, I can't wait for people to hear more about that. But also you have a for-profit, uh, which is Mid Mid-River. Uh, counseling therapy, yeah. Okay, therapy. Okay. And so uh, in hearing your story and just what you've been through and some of your experiences, um, I understand why you're very passionate about this. And I, But what our desire is, is in these, in these podcasts, we want to encourage uh, Christian leaders. We want to address issues that people have in leadership. We know leadership can be a very lonely place. And uh, and sometimes it's hard to work through that. And today's topic is burnout. Uh, we're we're looking at um, walking through uh, that burnout. How how do you even find yourself in burnout? And and then we hope to move forward from there with the how to prevent it because we, we want to give people tools, uh, leaders tools to um, walk through this issue. I think everyone, uh, Megan, would if they're honest. Uh, has experienced some form of burnout. Um, yep. But today, let's start off with you. Just tell us a little bit about your journey, um, how you uh, just, I don't think you just woke up one day and found yourself doing this. And so right. share with us, if you would, just some of your journey uh, in ministry and then finding yourself passionate about uh, helping Christian leaders and then your own burnout. But uh, how'd you get here? It's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> great question. I don't want to scare people because sometimes they go, well, it started when I was in college. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to hear the whole story. But yeah. it did start when I was in college. Okay. Um, so I went to North Texas and Denton. Um, and while I was there, I went to a church called Denton Bible Church. And they just really cultivated my heart for God, for the Bible, uh, for doing ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I say I went to North Texas and got an English literature degree, but I really went to Denton Bible Church okay. <laughs> and got a, a passion for doing ministry. Okay. Um, when I graduated, I did the women's discipleship training program that mm -hmm. they have there, and it's a nine-month program. And by the end... I was like, I want to go to seminary. Okay. Like, I want to do ministry full time. Like, okay. I just want to be in the church. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had to go back to Houston um, for some other reasons. A few months later, I still wanted to go to seminary. So I applied and got into Dallas Theological Seminary mm -hmm. and uh, went to their Houston campus. Okay. So um, when I started there, my first semester, I got offered an internship. Um, at a church to do youth ministry. Mm -hmm. So I was the girls' student ministries intern for the summer. So I did that. It was horrendous because uh -oh. you're <laughs> okay. so, <laughs> you have to like build rapport with high school students. Yeah, and sometimes it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's a rough road. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an outdoorsy person. And the first thing we did was camp. And, you know, I'll just jump in wholeheartedly there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All so right. it was a rough go, but I was like, I'm going to do ministry, and this is, you know, my mm -hmm. opportunity. So at the end of the summer, they hired me on as their Girl Student Ministries director. Mm -hmm. And so I was excited because I didn't think you could get a ministry job before you finish seminary. I thought yeah. you had to, like, get the degree first. So I was really excited. Um, and a month into being a director in the youth ministry, the church I was working for had a split. Oh, wow. 
And so um, the senior pastor resigned, and then the rest of the pastors left. Oh, my goodness. And it was just me and another ministry intern that was still in seminary <laughs> left okay. on the yeah. pastoral staff. And I was like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, so I I didn't really have much rapport with the kids yet, but I didn't want to leave them mm-hmm. with, you know, no leadership. Right, right. And so I decided to stay on. Um, but it definitely gave me an experience I never had before mm-hmm. working for a church. Um, mm-hmm. The church had always been the safe place for me. Okay. You know, even growing up, I would go there to get grounded, to learn about God, to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I was in a place where church was not. So you're my seeing safe place. the backside of staffing, administration, mm-hmm. behind the scenes that most people don't see. Sounds right. like it kind of opened your eyes to it the reality of church. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> This is really broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the hardest part during that time was everybody was grieving mm-hmm. and all kind of going through that shock, the sadness, the mm-hmm. anger, trying to sort things out. And so there just wasn't much capacity from anyone mm-hmm. to be present for each other. Okay. And so, you know, I would have these weekly staff meetings and I'd be saying, I'm not doing well because, you know, I had my own expectations for what ministry was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have like the lack of support because everything's falling apart. And then you got these teenage kids that don't really care much about what you're trying to share with them. It was all very Mm -hmm. discouraging. Um, So how long did you tough that out? I did it for four years. Wow. Okay. So we went through. So a month into this and then four (laughs) years later. Yeah. So we did like the pastor search committee. All of that. For the senior pastor, for the youth pastor. We did all the demographics of trying to grow the church, you know, who's around us, who are we mm-hmm. serving, how do we get our church to grow, because we lost about half the congregation through that split. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was a really difficult look into church ministry and kind of mm-hmm. seeing behind the scenes, um, you know, what happens when you have dysfunctional, hurting leadership yeah. and you're And the impact drowning. of that, and that, I guess, the, the ripple effect— Mm-hmm. Goes a long way. So, uh, in your own personal life, at that at that juncture, being there for four years, um, so you went to Dallas Seminary. I guess you finished mm-hmm. seminary while you were there. I okay. did. All right. So, seminary was the light in the darkness for me. Okay. Um, I'm really so? glad I was in school while I did that, because mm-hmm. um, I'd be doing work at the church and it'd be very dark and depressing and discouraging. And then I'd go to class and I'd be like, God is amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. all right. you know, this is all worth it, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, so I do believe that seminary helped me like maintain my faith mm-hmm. because by the time I graduated seminary, I was like, I do not want to step into a church ever again. Oh, wow. And okay. I have this Christian education degree that I don't know what I'm going to do with. Because, right. Because you're done with church. Because I'm done with church. <laughs> yeah. You were really burned out from church. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. But then you didn't stop there in your education. No. Is that, that when you looked at therapy and, and mm-hmm. getting your license? Okay. Yeah. So um, the semester before I graduated, I started seeing a counselor mm-hmm. and she started walking me through what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I... um Ugly cried for like four sessions. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but just like having somebody see me and listen to me and just be present with me for what I've been feeling for that long mm-hmm. uh, was a start. And so, you know, 
finally having somebody that I felt could help me mm-hmm. um, work through what I was working through. Okay. And so I learned that it wasn't just what was going on in the church that was impacting me. It was also all the stuff that I brought into it as well mm-hmm. before I even began. And so she and I went on a journey where we started working through my burnout, um, how it had impacted my faith. And then we started mm-hmm. looking at my family of origin stuff mm-hmm. that I brought to the table. Okay. So would you, based on your experiences, now I'm just kind of going to jump over some of that time of your training and then, you obviously went into uh, serving in ministry and starting your own nonprofit, but would it be safe to say that basically ministry, everyone's bringing their own baggage and their junk into ministry? And, mm-hmm. and so how do you see that contributing to burnout? Uh, in a big way. In a big way. <laughs> I'm like, how do I put this? Um so burnout, uh, one of the kind of pioneers of burnout research is Christina mm-hmm. Maslock, and mm-hmm. she came up with three scales for burnout. Okay. And one's emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and then personal accomplishments, so mm-hmm. how you feel you're being effective in your work. Mm-hmm. And if you're already struggling with feeling like you don't have value and that you're not worth being protected and you're not owning your own reality and your own identity, mm-hmm. you're going to struggle with all three of those. Because you're already going to be struggling with maybe perfectionism where you're taking on too much Mm -hmm. because you're the only one that can do it well. Right. And, you know, anti-dependence, I got to do it all myself. Mm -hmm. So you're going to give yourself too much of a workload and then also feel like you're not doing a good job at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, there may be some skepticism or cynicism about the work environment or the people that you're working with. Mm -hmm. So that's going to create that depersonalization where the job starts rubbing you the wrong way. Okay. And then with the personal accomplishment, if you feel like, like with burnout, if you're in an environment where it's spiritually dead or like I was in, you know, the church mm-hmm. is kind of going through a divorce of sorts, mm-hmm. um, you're not going to feel like you're being effective right. because where's the fruit or where's the the growth you're looking mm-hmm. for? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, bringing those things already into the job is going to give you a recipe for burnout. Right. I can say just from a pastor's experience, mm-hmm. on the pastoral side of that, uh, and it, you, it may just be one one church that's small enough for one pastor to shepherd, but when you add pastors to the staff, you have that lead pastor, and uh, the pressure grows and builds to perform. And mm-hmm. so in that environment, you're not allowed to be wrong. And, and some of the things yeah. for pastors that I know I'm sure if we have, you know, the pastors that are listening, they can relate to this. It's never good enough, and you will always have people questioning your decisions. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's overwhelming. Like, when can I get a break from this? And then on top of that, you're living in a fishbowl. My wife used to say, you know, I'm okay living in a fishbowl. I am now, at least. She would say, but right. there's a process of even how do you manage that, where you're always mm-hmm. uh, in view of others, uh, always... Uh, available for criticism, and uh, and so I, th- I think maybe you and I've talked about this, but when you have issues that you bring in from your childhood, teenage years, um, abandonment issues, if you come from a divorced uh, family, mm-hmm. uh, it may be really intense in abandonment issues like I had early on, where my dad left when I was one, so I had this anger built up over the years. And then God puts you in a role where you have to serve and love 
unconditionally, and people are able to leave and criticize and, and mm-hmm. tell. So these things just kind of build. And so, as we've shared before, uh, it's not until you really address your own issues and walk right. through that do you have the freedom then to serve in the capacity that God desires for you to. So, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you one that I had to practice. Okay, because I did go back to the church that I worked at. Oh, okay. <laughs> so All right. Good. There was healing there. Uh-huh. But the the time I returned, my counselor gave me an exercise. Okay. And she said, "Walk into the space and assume that everyone's thinking the best of you." Oh. And I was like, "Okay." Did it work? <laughs> it did. Okay. Because <laughs> she was saying, you know, a lot of times we have a distorted thinking about mm-hmm. what people are thinking about us okay. because we've got that inner critic going mm-hmm. on, and right. so. She's like, you're not a mind reader, so you might as well assume the best. Mm-hmm. And then if someone has a problem with you, they can tell you about it, and you can have a conversation. Good. And okay. it's okay. <laughs> great, great. Well, now let's let's move forward a little bit on your in your journey with. Uh, of course, you have your non your nonprofit and your for profit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why two? Why for profit and nonprofit? Um, what what really caused you to to engage? that way with leadership? Um, I think that came through working in ministry mm-hmm. is I didn't want money to get in the way of God's plan, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Okay. In a way that I didn't want the nonprofit to be the bill payer. Okay. Because um, for me, I was like, I don't want to be in a desperate place where I'm making decisions uh, to get money in. Well, it costs to live. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted to see what God was going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even sure like if it would be a thing. And so mm-hmm. okay. uh, I knew I wanted to do counseling. Um, when I took a break from the church and after I graduated, mm-hmm. I kept doing my own counseling journey, recovery journey. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I worked a bunch of odd jobs and just gave myself a break. Uh, and during that growth period, mm-hmm. um, I was working as a receptionist. And okay. people were coming up to me that worked there and were sharing with me what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to them about what I was doing in my recovery. And they're like, that was so helpful. <laughs> and I was like, maybe this is a job. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, so I went back to Dallas Theological Seminary for a counseling degree. Mm-hmm. And during that time, God kind of started putting an image in my head of a recovery center. Okay. And it narrowed down to a recovery center for ministry leaders. Mm. And then uh, someone that I went to school with there in the counseling program, mm-hmm. she had a passion for family systems. Okay. And so it was like, oh, we could do ministry leaders and their families. There you go. And okay. so Desert Road Ministries kind of came to fruition while I was in school. Okay. Um, and so after that, my uh, um, co or co-student and I um, created Mid River Therapy together, and okay. then Desert of Ministries. So they have the same birthday. Okay, so Mid River yeah. pays the bills. Yes, and that's your ongoing therapy. <laughs> yeah. and so which is great. I've looked mm-hmm. into it, uh, but then the Desert Road Ministries now on focus enables you to focus on Christian leadership. Yes, you know, so we wanted we wanted it to grow as God would have it, mm-hmm. you know, and we wanted to be open handed as to what he would do with it. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we're at right now mm-hmm. is, you know, raising awareness that we exist. So mm-hmm. we're like, we provide affordable counseling services for 
ministry leaders and their families, and we have all these other resources that we can offer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but my passion point within it is the burnout okay. prevention and recovery program. Okay. What well, uh, this is one that I think is can can tie back to a pastor or a Christian leader. Uh, Feeling like I don't think it's true. I don't, definitely, uh, it's not the reality of this. But you can feel like it, which makes it seem like it's reality. But uh, why do you why do you think some uh, leaders, Christian leaders, uh, pastors, um, have a difficult time acknowledging that they are burned out? I've got my opinion as yeah, a pastor. Like, I'm curious. Okay, to hear uh, but. Uh, I know you you deal with burnout, have dealt with burnout. Um, so let me just jump into the pastor side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, as as I've already mentioned, they're they're never allowed to be wrong. Mm-hmm. You just can't be. You're supposed to be all knowing. You represent God. Uh, that that's part of it. And then uh, obviously, people always questioning you. Um, just dealing with everyday pastor issues can be tough. But I think one is that when you when you acknowledge that you have burnout, it means you have to change something. And as a pastor, you don't always have the resources, the time, the ability to make those changes. Because when we admit that we are in a bad place as pastors, uh, we're fearful sometimes that we're going to get kicked to the curb. I mean, we still have to pay bills. Just like you were mentioning, hey, how do we pay the bills? Those kind of things. But for pastors who have elders or deacons, if they're in a denomination where the deacons kind of act like the elders or fill that role, um, you have to, they, there are times where, okay, if I admit that I'm in burnout, will they kick me to the curb? I've got a family. I've got kids. And sometimes I think we can feel held hostage in that environment. And so you just keep going and going and going. And then, and sometimes that, from that standpoint, uh, then we end up really creating scenarios that are unhealthy. But that's just from the mm-hmm. pastor side. And <laughs> as a Christian leader, someone who's not serving as a pastor, but they're in leadership, maybe of a nonprofit. I would love to hear your opinion on that. What you think some of those difficulties in acknowledging that, what do you think happens to those individuals? Um, I would say a big one is, am I going to lose my job? Okay. For anybody, For anybody. that's working mm-hmm. in a nonprofit or ministry where it's, mm-hmm. you know, if I tell somebody I'm struggling, you know, that's your boss. Yeah. And I mean, with churches too, if you're on church staff, and you tell your pastor, your pastor's also your boss. Right. So it's like, who do I go to whenever I'm struggling? Where's and, the safe? Where's this, who's that safe person? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To talk to um, but also, you know, I don't know if we'll get into this, but burnout mm-hmm. is a systemic issue. It's hardly an individual issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there are things that individuals can do to help prevent mm-hmm. burnout. Okay. But if the environment is bad, there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. And so sometimes there can be a discouragement of like, well, this is just the way it is. So why even, mm-hmm. you know, try and uh, get help? Explain that a little further. When you say systemic, uh, we, we've used that in our culture today a lot for different in different areas. But what do you mean by systemic? Kind of walk that out a little further if you could. Yeah. So um, Christina Maslach has this image of a canary in a coal mine. Okay. And so she talks about, you know, if you put a canary in a coal mine, 
and it starts having respiratory issues and it starts dying, they bring the canary out and they're like, well, you know, what can this canary do to be better mm-hmm. in the coal mine? And it's like, well, nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> the environment is bad. Okay. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, so if you're in an unhealthy environment, you can do some things mm-hmm. to try and help yourself feel better, but ultimately you're still in this environment that's making you sick. Okay. And so, you know, it can be discouraging to try and do all these things to help yourself and to still be struggling every day because mm-hmm. it's out of your control. Okay. And we tend to look internalize and look in our own individual self what's going on when yep. there can be those external. Are there any other external factors that play in that? We say environment, but things beyond our control. Um, like as in if you're working in an environment, what's out of your control? Yeah. So, I mean, we say systemic or the environment's uh, not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way you can get better if you stay in that environment when it's, you know, that's beyond your control. So uh, are there some other things, that, whether it be in the family, whether it be in um, lack of training and those kind of things that, mm-hmm. that might play into that? Yeah. So um, they call it like business hygiene. So that's okay. the first thing you want to look at. Okay. And, you know, that's, are we paying our staff members well? Okay. Like, do people feel financially covered? Okay. Like, are the benefits helping them take mm-hmm. care of themselves and their families? Okay. Um, how do people talk to one another? You know, somebody being, you know, bullied or picked on within mm-hmm. the, the staff environment and mm-hmm. it's causing added stress mm-hmm. or microaggressions every day. Okay. Um, it could even be the environment itself, like the physical environment. Like, you know, are the facilities clean? Like, how's the office environment? Yeah. Um, Mold in the structures. Right. Yeah. Poor, like, poor heating and air. Is it clean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so it's just little, like, small things every day that maybe go unnoticed kind of form a collective feeling okay. of discouragement or burnout in some way. And so sometimes those are like easy fixes in the sense of, you know, a leader can just pay attention to the people that they're working with and just see like, how are they talking to one another? Mm -hmm. Um, Are they feeling well covered when it comes to finances? Mm -hmm. How's the office? Um, So really you're talking about the the leader, the main leader or the head of organization. mm -hmm. Uh, What kind of culture are they creating in their environment? Um, So, there are some obvious things that we need to be aware of as leaders, pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think as a leader myself and some of the things I watch, those are the things on our team. And I think we need to think of it in terms of a team because we're all should be working towards that mission, mission and vision of our organization, how are we working mm-hmm. together, how are we fitting and what kind of culture are we building. And so I think that's one of the things that uh, we could encourage uh, yep. our main leader uh, to help in his leadership with other leaders. And so mm-hmm. that's a, that's a great point. Um, but internally, so we've got some external factors that we need to be aware yep. of as a leader. Uh, we, we need to make sure we're taking care of our people, look at the environment they're serving in. Sometimes it's beyond our control. Uh, I, I've worked with people in Tanzania and Brazil and other places. Sometimes you do the best you can and pray that God brings more resources, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but internally, what are some things internally that you, uh, is there anything that you want to touch on before we move into preventive, but some some things that you see are um, maybe triggers or things that contribute to that uh, that, that need to be addressed as well? 
I have some really like, you know, there are obviously some basic things that you can do when we talk about prevention and recovery, Mm -hmm. but what can contribute to burnout um, with my counseling framework is codependency. Okay. And, you know, and it's essentially working with self-esteem boundaries owning your reality, experiencing it moderately. So if you struggle with things like that, Mm -hmm. it's going to make a work environment very difficult, even if you're in a good Uh, environment. Let's back up a little bit. You and I come from a counseling world, but for those, it's amazing (laughs) how, you know, I've used that codependent term in the past, Mm -hmm. but I still have people that look at me like, what do you mean by that? Can you define that for our leadership? Yes. Okay. I'm going to try and say it in a way that doesn't sound offensive. It's don't worry about it. Just 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 say it what it is. <laughs> we need to stop worrying. being adult children. Being oh okay, adult <laughs> um, children. So whenever we struggle with codependency, mm-hmm. usually it has to do with childhood development. Okay. So if certain needs and wants didn't get met, then we struggle with: Am I valuable? Mm-hmm. Am I worth being protected? Mm-hmm. How do I utilize my emotions? How do I feel these things when I'm feeling big feelings? Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody says something about me or they think something about me, does it make it true? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whenever we struggle with things like that every day, you know, somebody can come up to us and say like, hey, you did a great job on that project the other day. And in a mind that's struggling with owning their reality, they may say like, did they really mean that? Or did they okay. point it out because I did something wrong? Yeah, they just immediately go negative on it. Yeah. Okay. And so when we have that inner critic and we have that false belief system about ourselves and we don't mm-hmm. know how to manage the emotions that come with it, okay. it makes relationship and work really difficult. Mm-hmm. So then throw in some stressors coming from your work environment mm-hmm. and you're going to really struggle. Yeah, it magnifies yep. some of those things. Yeah. Um, and I, I like what you said about owning. It's really important for us to own Yes. Um, our lives, our, our uh, personhood, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and not not allow other people to direct that that narrative yep. in our head. And so, and to do that, you have to allow yourself to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. And if we struggle with valuing ourselves, and we're looking to outside factors to give mm-hmm. us that value, we're going to have a really hard time mm-hmm. taking ownership. Megan, not not to cut us short, but yep. uh, I. I we are going to do this in two parts. And so uh, we've got this month, we're doing part one, and then we're going to move to part two. And so I'm going to invite our listeners to join with us again to finish this conversation. But Megan, thank you so much for being with us today. For sure. And, um, excited to, to be working with you in the future and yeah. look forward to uh, leaders who are either in the middle of burnout or those who are wanting to prevent it and those who maybe are in the in the darkest of moments in their burnout. I'm looking forward to them reaching out and us being able to work with them and uh, help walk them to a good place. So thank you for sharing today. Mm-hmm.